This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Now, some of you may know me from Forge Narrative Podcast, where I spent a little over two years as the butt of a lot of jokes. The guy who messed up rules, who barely had valuable tactical insight. And, you know, some of that was me playing up to a character for the show, but in all honesty, a lot of that was true. I'm not that good of a 40k player. So yeah, I've won a few local tournaments, and I'm known for winning best painted at a handful of GTs. What I'm trying to explain here is that I'm, I'm just not that good at this game. I'm not a quality list designer or player. I tend to partake too much in the adult beverages at tournaments, and I get really wrapped up in meeting new people and having a lot of fun getting lost in dice rolls for a weekend away from the real world. But something happened recently. I'm not sure if there was an actual pinpoint time or date, it was an accumulation of moments and thoughts that led me to this conclusion, and ultimately, this show. I want to win a grand tournament. I don't want to win best painted. I don't want to win best overall. I want to be the best general. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your host, Val Heffelfinger, Heffelfinger. and the Falcon. Today we kick off with the Falcon taking flight once more, only to launch into a deep dive into the helpless prey that is the 40K meta. And with our audience exhausted, we'll march on Atlanta and attempt to reconstruct what happened there last weekend. Swinging up, 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 upstate, we take you to the legendary Du Bois GT, still going strong after all these years. And finally, as promised, the show transcends the language barrier to bring you coverage of the ninth Talavera GT in Spain. And although we didn't write it in the script, after that, there's even more folks. Stay tuned after that coverage for a nice, long installment of Quick Hitters. That's the intro. Welcome to the show. Hello and good whatever time of day it is. Glorious listeners, we have got a wild one here for you. Stat Center episode number 22, coming at you from the hearts and minds of the two most handsome, intelligent, empathetic, and... Humble content creators, the Warhammer 40k scene has ever seen. Or it would have been, but Lawrence and the Bone from Tabletop Tactics were just too busy to take over the show this week, so you're getting us instead. We're the two biggest arseholes with hearts of gold and no idea what we're doing in the 40k universe. And like Val said, this is one hot tamale of an episode we have lined up. Don't worry, guys. We'll do you proud. We, of course, need to send our sincere apologies for the extra late episode this week but like all great content producers you'll get to eat when we serve it to you speaking of it seems like there are still people out there listening to podcasts that aren't the crown jewel of the frontline gaming network so with what i know with great sincerity if you enjoy our stuff please check us a like or a sub or a comment or whatever wherever you're mainlining our sweet sweet goodness and before we get into that sweet, sweet goodness, here's a tip of the trilby to the rest of our brothers on the Frontline Gaming Network. This week, Chapter Tactics brought on Brian Pullen, Richard Siegler, and myself, the Falcon, to talk about the state of the greater good. Meanwhile, on Art of War, they also had Brian Pullen. Who'd have thought? 
He went on to go into even greater detail on what it takes to wear a sweater vest in California. And Signals from the Frontline spent their time going over the new Black Templar and Adeptus Sororitas rules that were put out by GW in the last week. That's right, folks. Two Frontline Gaming podcasts this week that feature none other, none other than Pablo Martinez. And as for us, we're going to break with tradition and hold off on tournament coverage for a moment. That's right. Crack open those spreadsheets, nerds. Because it's time to put the stats in Stats Center. Courtesy of 40kstats.com. Due to popular demand and an apparently literal reading of our show name, Falcon is about to take you on a dive deep into the ocean of salty tears that is the Space Marine meta. You'll learn what is winning now, how it is winning, and receive a healthy dose of skepticism, sarcasm, and barely repressed sadness. Oh, okay, seriously. Falcon, you clearly wrote that paragraph. Uh, can it really be that bad? Val? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it can. <laughs> All right, let's, let's get some... Uh, you know, let's let's define the scope here. What, yeah, what, let's. What, what do you what do you mean by it can be that bad? Because I don't want to be one of those mopey podcasts. I want to. No, I know, and there. I and, and you know what, Val? Like, listen, like, it's this not... isn't this isn't TFG Radio. Okay, this is going to be quality, whoa, actionable whoa. content. We're going to use these stats to drive the meta, not the other way around. Okay, okay, okay. You got me. Um, it's not terrible. It's just bad. Um, when you look at uh, the the stats where they are now and compare them uh, to days gone by, we're in a position uh, right now where we have a faction, i.e. the Space Marines, um, that is performing at a rate um, that we haven't seen since you know, mid to late 2018 uh, out of Inari. The difference between the two, of course, is that Inari was about 4% of the meta when it topped out. And it breached almost five at LVO um, compared to Space Marines, which are sitting at just under 23% of the meta, but performing at almost exactly the same rate. Um, to go in a little more detail on that before we get into like rock hard numbers, um, like Inari. <laughs> yeah. Your numbers are. Inari. And Ari had a, a boasted about a 60% win rate. They sat around a 59 to 60 for quite some time before they dipped down in the in the early months of uh, 2019. Um, they had an average first round loss between 2.6 and 2.9, depending on the week to week you check them out at. They averaged about a 2.7. Um, they had the best uh, primate like. Uh, faction VP, so their average victory points per game were the best of any faction. They had the best uh, opposing victory points of any faction. Like, they basically topped out everything. Um, the big difference, of course, like I said, there weren't very many of them. So other people could win events, because if you went to a 30-player event, you might see one Inari player. Um, if you went to a 100-person event, you were only seeing four. Nowadays, with Marines, you go to a 30-person event six to eight of them are Marines. Um, you go to a hundred person event, you're looking at like 25. So like the, they're everywhere and they're, they're performing very well as a whole. Um, where Marines don't have those great numbers would be like, uh, if you look at their uh, victory points for and against, they're actually relatively close to each other right now. Um, they're sit at about like a 23, four to a 22 against it's still better than uh, their against is still better than everyone in the field, but their, their victory points four is not, uh, 
Inari, when you looked at them, they had 24 points uh, on average four versus about an 18 against. So like when they were winning, they were absolutely smashing the competition. And now we are talking, uh, this is, this is all of the space Marine brothers in, in one happy tent as well. Right. Exactly. So that's another thing. Um, if you, if you break down each supplement, you'll see that there are drastic difference between differences between them all to the point where I would consider them all their own codex. Really they're, they're their own faction. Um, they may share units, but in reality, they play differently, they run different lists, and they perform differently against uh, all the different factions in the meta. Um, so yeah, where do you want to get started? Uh, now that I've kind of given a, like an overlay of kind of where we are in terms of the bads, uh, what numbers are you looking for, Val? What what do you think the crowd wants to hear? Well, I mean, I just want to maybe deconstruct this idea of this being necessarily a bad thing. The first question I have is, are you accounting for you know mirror matches in all of this? Uh, yes. So if you were to go to 40kstats.com, um, what I would recommend if you're going to look at where the meta is right now, uh, wipe out everything straight up to about October, um, 22nd, start there. You'll have about four weeks worth of data. It's about, uh, 7,000 games. Um, and that takes you out of um, the place where we had that Iron Hands kind of dominant two weeks that we did a whole podcast on, you know, where they were at like an 80% win rate, ripping yeah. everybody apart. Yeah. Uh, so basically, before they got their FAQ, from the 26th second forward, uh, essentially all of the events ran with the IH FAQ. Um, so you get a better idea of how they're performing, how people are performing against them and against the meta as a whole. And how big of a um, sample are we? Are we roughly equal on both sides of that ledger at this point? Like as far as games yeah. played? Yeah. So you're looking at about 6,000, uh, 6,500 games played post uh, Iron Hands FAQ um, versus um, about, you know, depending on what you want to use for a comparative. I like to compare to um, about like I just took for what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, the 6,000 games prior to Marines even being launched. So I'm basically saying that from September 7th through to October 15th, that kind of six-week period, I'm ignoring it because the game was in such a flux. Every week we were getting a new Codex supplement release, well, every two weeks or so. Yeah. There were FAQs in there. Um, so really that data, um, even though we had some really great events inside that data, um, it's... Um, it's not really super useful for determining where we're at right now, right? Because if you look at Ultramarines performed super well on the 7th through the 21st, but that was because they were essentially the only supplement as Ultramarines and White Scars. Iron Hands hadn't been injected, etc. Um, yeah. So, so uh, aside from Marines, like if we're looking at the, at, at the general meta here, has anyone else, I mean, because let, let's be honest, I mean, we're doing this show and yeah, we're running into a lot of, you know, top table, uh, you know, marine lists, and undefeated marine players, but it doesn't feel like they're winning everything. Um, you know, no, so like, is there are there any, any any factions that have actually benefited from from the you know new marine meta? Sure, and there definitely are. So, just to give the marine numbers, uh, given like my babbling about like for a preamble. Marines right now, they make up 23% of all lists. If we look at that last, you know, 6,000 games, four weeks worth of data, it amounts to about 20 events. Um, they have a win rate of 60% once you remove the mirror, basically dead on 60%. 
Um, they have an average first round loss of 2.37, which is very high, but it isn't the highest I've ever seen by far. Um, so overall, they've been performing way better than they were if you look at the pre-Codex when they had an average first round loss uh, using the same time frame, about 6,000 games um, of a 1.84, a win rate of about 51%, um, and they were making up between 7 and 8% of the meta um, as the... And, some of that is a, a lift you saw the week before the the Marine co uh, supplement was released as people kind of started bringing them back out. Mm -hmm. um, other factions that have gained out of this, uh, basically all of the power armor factions that had been kind of underperforming for you know some time um, have gotten a boost, with the exception of Blood Angels, which has basically remained the same. Yeah. Um, so if you look at Dark Angels, the six weeks prior to the Marine release, the 6,000 games or so, they were looking at about a 32% win rate, 31.9. They're now sitting at a 42. Look so, out! Is that yeah, a little, so a is, was that a little slice jump. of humble pie I just saw you swallow down? Uh, so if they had gone from a 42 to a 52, <laughs> sure, I would take that. But when you go from being the absolute worst by a long margin to being... Mm, like third from the worst, it, I don't know. This, Not I mean, sure but this yet. does represent. I mean, going from thirty-one to forty-two percent win percentage, that does to me represent a like zombie arm dramatically reaching above the 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 hole in the ground and just maybe maybe the forearm is up above ground and yeah, you know, I like it. You know, I like it. Now, to be fair to me, because I still um, despise everything Dark Angels, <laughs> um, with the exception of Cipher, because he's the only true Dark Angel. True. Um, they only make up a little over 1% of the meta um, to this day. So they, they were at about a 1.6 prior. They're down, actually, to about a 1.3% um, since the uh, Iron Hands FAQ. So we're not talking about a lot of people trying to bring these guys out. Yeah. And the one thing I will say um, uh, is that with these Dark Angel players and Space Wolves as well, the people that are bringing them out are the people that are, you know, they're trying to make this lump of coal yeah. shine as best as possible. Right? So you got, it's, you got it's, addition by subtraction, right? You know, yeah, you're you, getting some pretty decent quality players that are like, can I make this work? And that's, you know what? I have all the respect in the world for that. Um, Space Wolves, also a big winner. They've gone up 8%. They went from a 36 to a 40, uh, almost a 45% win right now. Um, still only about 1.5% of the meta. But, you know, these little increments, um, Space Marines, they had a big jump, as we expected, you know, like 7, 8, 10%. Um, we've seen Sisters of Battle get a bit of a, a jump, but they make up such a small percentage of the meta that I would almost discount it because even, like, one player yeah. uh, has a good performance that's going to jump their numbers. So, and and uh, also, we're getting into sort of, you're right, it's really a, a story of, of power armor getting getting the lift. Grey Knights, Death Watch, both. both. Yeah get a bit of a, a positive uptick and then and then there's two there's two here that are not insignificant bumps no um tau have seen about a three percent lift um and we've been talking a little bit about this and a lot of podcasts and players have talked about like this tau we've been saying tau resurgence i think for i don't know like three months i keep hearing it all the time and i've been on a lot of podcasts where we've been like tower the new thing and then, you know, three weeks goes by, they don't win anything for a while, and it's yeah. like, well, maybe they're not. Maybe it's just Richard Siegler. It's like how all uh, top players have always said they're most afraid of orcs. I just never got that. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a weird thing. Uh because Tau have definitely been a performing army, but they're a, a very difficult army to play, um particularly um it, like at a competitive level. Uh as we're seeing look at the data now, Tau sit at about a 52% win rate roughly after you remove the mirrors um in the last 6 weeks. Just over 2.5% of that is two people, Brian Pullen and Richard Siegler. Yeah. Um, they're they're doing a lot of work um, between them. I think I when I was talking to Richard, they'd won something like uh, 24 games and lost four or something in the last two months. So, like, they're, they're definitely carrying the team. Um, it's not to say there aren't other Tau players that are doing well. We'll talk. I don't know if we got a clip from Evan Stump this week, but he won a GT this uh, this week with uh, Tau. Josh Herrera, who came in second at Crozius, brought that Taunar and went undefeated. Hell yeah! Uh, so like, it, it's not like they're the only two people winning. It's just um, like it, it, there's been some help. So uh, our big of uh, our, you know a big chunk of our audience is American, and they're gonna want to know who are the losers. Who are the Who big, are fat, the losers? stinking losers of the Space Marine meta to date? Well, um, they are essentially mostly Xenos. Um, Chaos Space Marines, they've taken a, a, a 5% dip. They went from being at about a 48%. Pretty respectable, usually off the back of Lord Discordance and Purge business. Yeah. Um, the Lord Discordant lists, Purge lists, not working as well in the Space Marine meta. They took a giant dump. Uh, Drukari... Um, who yeah. a lot of people thought would uh, get a big boost out of a Space Marine meta because they're very good at killing Marine bodies. Not as good as killing Marine vehicles, um, particularly Iron Hands Flyers. Um, and because of that, they've also seen about a 5% decrease. They're still holding strong. They're at about a 48.5% win rate. If you remove the mirror, they're just bordering on 50. So they're not terrible. They're still like a competitive book, uh, by my standards at least. That That's also just... Feels like a bit of a stunner to me, you know. Um, yeah. I wonder if they want. I'd, I'd be curious to see how the Dark Eldar uh, list approach shifts. Because I figure, like, if you were running like some of those like massive Homunculus Covens lists that are durable and can eat things that fly, I don't know. Seems like it might be legit. Yeah, except they're not. What I've seen a big trend towards is Cabal of the Flayed Skull, um, really going heavy into Venom spam, Raider spam, trying to deal with bodies. Seems like a bad idea. Um, and that's kind of causing a bit of a problem. Still, if you look at some of their other stats, like their average first loss, it's still above two. So, like, uh, which is usually my uh, signal for this is a, an army that's still doing well. Having mm -hmm. that average first round loss, uh, anything higher than a two is generally a good sign. They're sitting at about a two point one, so things are definitely not bad for them. Um, probably the two armies that have taken the biggest hits um, have been Gene Steeler Colts and Orcs. Yeah. Yeah, they went from being uh, scary, scary beasts to not as scary whatsoever. Like, orcs still have a pretty respectable 48% win rate. Um, 49, really, when you consider the, the mirror. Uh, but that's like a 5% dip from where they were. They were actually um, doing so well. They were bordering on a 54% win rate going into the Space Marine meta. Um, they'd had a lot of really, really strong performances. Richard Kilton had pulled off a couple wins. Um, a number of other players, uh, Nick Sutherland had been kind of dominating that we that uh, weird Texas meta yep. for a bit. Um, so like, like there was a lot of good results coming out of them. They had an 
average first loss of 2.36, which is very high. It's kind of where Marines are right now, actually. They've dipped below two. Um, Gene Steeler Colts, the same. They were they were performing even better. Um, not really on win rate, but like their top performers were overperforming pretty regularly. They had a 2.43 percent, uh, 2.43 average first loss, which is like in in that kind of scary zone where you maybe someone needs to look at these guys. They're down below two as well, so they they took a big hit. Um, Imperial Knights for the first time since they have launched are yeah. below a 50 percent win rate. That's big. That's crazy. Yeah, they're sitting at a 48 right now. It's a, it's uh, actually, if you remove the mirror, um, they go down slightly. They go down to like a like a 47.9 or so. So they they're actually hurting. They're hurting pretty bad. Imperial Knights getting into chumps chump status. Yeah, and I think the thing with that is um, the housecraft list doesn't perform as well as it used to, and that was kind of what was carrying uh, Imperial Knights for a long time. Um, near the end, just before we got into the Space Marine meta, House Tyrannus Knights had started to take a big lift um, across the pond. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still performing decently well into Marines. They have a decent win rate into Marines, but they don't have uh, as much popularity. We're still seeing a lot of crass lists, and they don't. They just aren't performing. The other thing about Imperial Knights uh, is um, they've often been more of a gatekeeper list with just a couple people able to successfully run them. Um, and you can see it in their average first loss. They were at like a 1.98. They're only down to a 1.96, despite having taken a huge hit in their win rate. And that's kind of just because they're, they're, they're losing in the early games. They're just losing more frequently. So now they're losing game two, uh, and game three rather than, you know, losing game two and then continuing on to have a decent performance. Yeah. And, uh, are you seeing just, you know, before we move on maybe to, you know, what, you know, who the, who the real, um, you know, shining spots of the uh, Astartes meta are. Um, are you seeing any sort of reactions? Because I, I am noticing too, like uh, you know, the, both Gene Steeler cults and Orcs lost a good chunk of the the uh, basically the field share. Um, they both dropped, uh, you know, one and a third percent in total amount of players actually using them. Are you noticing mm-hmm. the players that are remaining starting to react a little bit to this? Uh, those guys who are sticking to their guns, and we can think—I mean, you know, off the top of my head, I can think of prominent players who have abandoned these factions. Stephen Pamprine moved to Astartes. Nick Nanavati left Gene Steeler Cults for Astartes. Uh, what uh, you know, those that remain—has there been any sort of uh, reaction to this? Um, not. I would say yes and no. So if you look at some of the guys that are still running orcs, the freebooters list, which had kind of been seen as like an off meta, uh, could potentially win an event, uh, often with four and one list, that's essentially disappeared. You don't see freebooters um, at all except at the very like bottom. So like Ben Jurek, et cetera, they've kind of moved to a more standard list, the, the kind of the list for orcs, um, double or triple shock attack gun, Death Skulls, either Brigade or Battalion, with some Evil Sons and some Bad Moons in there. Um, Anthony Birdsong has been performing very well for a long time with his, um, you know, like 18 or 15 Smasher Guns. Yep. He's still running that, doing very well. He has specifically stated that he has a hard time with certain Marine builds. Uh, generally, like Iron Hands are a hard time for him um, and a couple others, just because even his, uh, you know, close combat stuff, if they hit... Iron Hands Intercessors. The Iron Hands Intercessors pick up way more bodies than the Orcs do um, in a lot of those matchups. So it really hurts them. Um, 
And yeah, a lot of the rest have, have dropped off completely. Like you said, I, a lot of the top gene stealer cult players outside of, uh, say, Sweden, they've kind of disappeared. Sweden still loves their gene stealer cults. Carl Abramson still running them very well. Yep. Alex McDougal on the West Coast uh, just clubbing baby seals to death. Um, but he's running, NIDS, he, meta. he's running NIDS primary, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's running like a 1,100 points or so of NIDS and then 900 points of gene stealer cults. Um Voices yeah, of the hive mind and the modern yeah. journals. So, so it's a it's it's an interesting place. Um, the only other factions that have really taken gigantic hits, Tyranids have become one of the worst factions. They were already almost there. Yeah, brutal. Um, they they took a big hit um, outside of you know Alex McDougal, who's running kind of like a fifty fifty split, and then Custodes, who went from being on the verge of like somebody needed to talk to them. Um, at times getting up into like a 57, 58% win rate um, with that triple Caladius list uh, now down to 51. All the bandwagon jumpers have sold their China cast models. Um, they've dropped, uh, they were up to 7% of the meta uh, at their peak. They're down to 3%. So yeah. like 4%, over half their guys have dropped them. Just like we're done here. Still sitting pretty at about a 52% win rate after you get rid of those uh, those nasty mirror matches. Um, but that's still like a 4% drop in win rate. Um, they were at a 2.43 uh, average first round loss. They're down to a 2. They used to have a, like a very high T-whip um, that was running at about 12% uh, to 14. So about a 2 to 1 ratio for what they were doing. Um, their T-whip is now roughly on par. So I believe it's sitting at about a 4% of late uh, compared to 3% of the meta. So like they're still winning. Cameron Bowler pulled off a pretty good performance uh, very recently with a triple Caladius list. There was a fellow whose name I completely forget. I believe he's part of um, hashtag wrecked uh, that went five or 4-0-1 at SoCal before he lost his last two, ga uh, two games and got, got crushed by like Steve Pamperine. Got I hashtag say. wrecked, did he? Yeah, got hashtag wrecked by uh, White Scars. But still, like, the list still works. It just doesn't work against a lot of the really good lists out there. So shifting um, gears, uh, yeah. let, maybe let's uh, have a look at some of the other data you're doing. Now, you, earlier you were talking about how, I mean, we are in, in that data set just comparing, uh, you know, Astartes as if it's one thing. But really, they seem to be performing more like individual books on their own. So what is the actual yes. breakdown of of uh, Astartes lists look like? So uh, the absolute, so the breakdown right now, if you look at Astartes, um, about 40% of Astartes lists uh, are Iron Hands. Um, even with the nerf, they're still the most popular by far. Um, keep in mind, we're still very early in the Salamanders and Imperial Fists metas. Mm -hmm. And one thing that it seems to be very clear out of it particularly with salamanders is people are kind of waiting with bated breath for an FAQ before they go deep into that hole. Yeah. Um, they don't want to get hit with the same thing you saw with iron hands. So you're seeing very few salamanders lists, Imperial fists, especially across the pond in the UK, they're, they're, they're definitely making a storm. The Warhammer world GT, I think five of the top six were Imperial fists. And the one that wasn't was criminal fists. Um, and I mean, that's an event that has like one piece of terrain per table, but whatever, it's still like they're playing them for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you look at what the data that I have, um, yes, Iron Hands just under 40% of Marine lists, Ultramarine sitting at about a 19, which should be expected. They're kind of the poster boys. Raven Guard have jumped up to 18%, um, post IHFAQ. 
more players are starting to figure out uh, lists uh, that make them happy with Raven Guard, and uh, they've actually seen a lot of improvement. Uh, White Scars sitting at about a 10.5% of that group. Imperial Fists climbing. They're almost at 9. And then the Crimson Fists, Black Templar, Salamanders, uh, they, they make up the rest. And we'll have to see. I imagine we'll see a lot more Salamanders once we get an FAQ, specifically on that uh, self-sacrifice stratagem, because a lot of people want to build their lists around that. But if it gets nerfed into oblivion, then they won't. Yeah. And maybe they're hoping GW doesn't realize it's broken. Um, and then, you know, things will be terrible. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. so how are they performing? Um, Take the words Iron right hands, out of my mouth. They're at a 2.63 average first round loss. Um, compared to the rest of the field, they make up 27% of T-Whip. So, like, like they like, when you compare them to everybody else, not just Marines, 27%, they have a 27% T-Whip. Um, so that means 27% of all players in the field who get to Forno are playing Iron Hands? Yes, one in four players are, are playing Iron Hands. Um, so even post-FAQ, uh, doing very well, and their lists are, are varied. Iron Hands Air is very popular. The Iron Hands Brigade, uh, Successor Brigade is very popular. Just wanna, We're seeing a few... just, just, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. just want to put that uh, number in context for all the people who uh, are, are in the uh, Iron Hands Did Nothing Wrong camp. Um, so we're looking at 20, what do we say? 24% of the overall field are Adeptus Astartes, correct? Yes. And we're saying 40% of that. So I don't know, call it 10% ish of the entire 40 K meta is playing iron hands and 27% of the people who make it four and are playing iron hands. Yes. So like triple their, their field percentage that, that has got to be something that we've never seen. Um, yeah, it's this, these are numbers that are, um, definitely on par with, with an Ari in terms of like across the board rates, um, that 2.63 average first loss an Ari, I think, uh, I want I think I've said earlier, they got up to like a 2.8 or 2.9. That was very brief. They averaged a 2.67. Um, their T whip and Ari at, at its peak was like a 13% and they made up 4% of the MEPA. So it was triple. Um, but it was 4%. Right. It wasn't, you know, 12 percent of the meta making up 27 percent or 30 percent. Um, when we look at some of the others, like Iron Hands are definitely head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, but Raven Guard have uh, seen some marked improvement. Their average first loss is a 2.5. So that's very strong. They make up, you know, 18 percent of Marines. Um, their T-Whip, when you compare it to the rest of the field, uh, if you give me a second to kind of work it out, it is about uh, 10%, uh, like, yeah, about 9%. So 9% of T-Whip is now Raven Guard. That's also very strong. So they've they've definitely come up. Uh, lists like Manny Chima's that we saw in Blood and Glory that are kind of primary Raven Guard with a little bit of Imperial Fists or some kind of uh, Iron Hands shooting in the back, very popular now. Um, the Raven Guard uh, infiltrate shenanigans just make it so that they can take midboard very reliably and then kind of bully everybody out of it. And, uh, and um, I just got to ask, I don't think we covered it. What is the overall uh, Stardis faction uh, T-Whip percentage at these days? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Overall, uh, they're at just shy of 45%. <laughs> really? Yeah. So about just under half of all... Uh, all uh, whoa, my brain just shut off for about Four three no seconds. Players. 
Yeah, four no players are Marines at this point. And that's been very consistent, actually. I seem to remember yes. you saying that stat in both of the previous two updates. Yeah, so they had been on a steady incline basically since launch. Um, people love their Marines, but um, even with the uh, Imperial... When they had Imperial Fists were not FAQ'd, that two-week period where they were absolutely just, like, crapping on everybody, they Iron breached 50%. Yeah, Iron Hands. Uh, Marines as a whole breached 50%. So they have come down, albeit slightly. So, um, Salty John, here's here's some actionable advice driven from these stats. If you want to win a tournament, you're going to have to beat Marines, period. Yeah, it's very likely. I mean, I've uh, at least... At least a major. If you're going into uh, like a small GT, you may somehow, by the grace of God, avoid them. But it's highly unlikely. Well, I mean, you're uh, less likely. I mean, if half of the top tables are are oh yeah, are no, I'm, I'm saying like you're, it's highly unlikely. It's, oh, it's I not see. Not something you should have. Like you're, I mean, Brian Pullen at SoCal played four Marines, um, so it's it's they're everywhere and they're performing very well as a whole. There's very few people that aren't performing when they pick up Marines. Um, if you look at the others, how they're performing, and I'll get into win rates and such later, guys. Um, I'm I'm looking really at at the things that I look at to see if a if a if a faction performs well, which is round loss and T whip. Um, Imperial fists, not a lot of pe people playing them, like I said yet, but they've got an average first loss of 2.48 already. Um, they've got a T whip of six percent. They only make up nine percent of Marines, which which make up forty percent. So they're they're, they're about four percent of all lists. Underperforming. That's good. All right. Case closed. Uh, yeah. Marines aren't OP. Yeah, 2.48 at first loss is nothing. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> and that, that field percentage is field percentage of Marines, right? So if you consider that compared to the rest, they make up one-fifth, so they're about 2% of the actual field. Never mind, I take that. Um, yeah, with 3% T-whip if you go by that route. Um, white Scars, they've seen a bit of a dip. White Scars were um, kind of big overperformers early. Uh, during the particularly during that uh, lawless two weeks where Iron Hands were kicking the crap out of everybody, the one one of the things White Scars are very good at is killing uh, Iron Hands repulsor lists. Um, so they they were making out like bandits. I believe I had said at one point they had a sixty five percent win rate over over their first four weeks. Um, they're down. They're still performing. Obviously, they've got a two point one one average first loss. Um, they make up ten percent of Marine lists. Uh, like I said earlier, um, their T whip um, is they are underperforming. Their T whip is only uh, about uh, on par. They're they're looking at about a four percent T whip uh, compared to the rest of the field, whereas um, you know by their lonesome they are. Um, no, I, I lied to you. They're at about three percent of the actual field, so they're still they're still at about one point five. Okay. I don't know what to say. Everybody's everybody's doing pretty good on the Marine side. Yeah. Um, even Ultramarines, 2.14 average first loss. If we look at win rates, I believe White Scars are down to a 51% win rate because a lot of people have started to to uh, try to pick them up, but they're a little more um, in-depth to play than a lot of the gun lines. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of hurting them a little bit. Um, let's oh. go into... Go ahead. Let's go into how they're performing against other factions and yeah. as a whole. So as a whole, other the okay, so not just uh, not not just each individual. Gotcha. Oh no, each individual, but like how each one does against other factions. Because a lot of the questions that I get nowadays are 
how do I beat Iron Hands? What factions are actually even beating Iron Hands, or what factions are actually beating White Scars currently? So, for for the sake of for the sake of uh, of brevity, why don't we focus in on maybe some of the faction versus faction numbers, just for just for Iron Hands, because they are the biggest piece of this sure. puzzle. Um, Iron Hands right now they're struggling um, post FAQ against, and I shouldn't say struggling because some of these numbers aren't that terrible. Uh, Chaos Demons. Yeah. It's about a 60-40 split for the Demons. They're winning about 60% of their games. Um, and Harlequins, but they've only had six games. However, Harlequins have won five of those six. So Harlequins doing pretty well into that. And the average Harlequin list right now, you're looking at uh, Soaring Spite, Skyweavers, or Dreaming Shadow, if they want to go kind of like a, a more mono-sub-faction uh, mono list. You get your couple Death Chesters with a Solitaire, um, and that's basic. And then you mix in a couple hundred points of Drukari or Eldar for flyers or what, whatever you, you fancy. But that's kind of your standard Harlequin main list. Um, they're doing pretty well, the few that have met up with Iron Hands. Basically, everybody else, I mean, Gene Stiller Colts is they have a 47% win rate over, which means like there's a one game differential. So it's really, uh, it's about a 50 50. That's basically everyone else. Post Iron Hands FAQ is um, is like at a twenty or thirty percent win rate or less against Iron Hands. Interesting. What about the other Space Marines themselves playing in Iron Hands? Does anyone have? I mean, you mentioned earlier that White Scars was an early candidate for being. They the they counter. were. So um, pre FAQ, um, they they were they were winning. Um, the majority of their games against Iron Hands. Post FAQ, they've met 15 times in the data that I've had. Uh, Iron Hands have won nine of those 15. Um, so it's not a ton of data there, but three match differential. Other than that, um, they, the Iron Hands have kind of had their way with everybody else. They've met uh, Imperial Fists eight times, won seven of those eight games. Um, they've met Ultramarines 22 gut times. They're 15, five and two against Ultramarines. Um, they've won all of their games against Salamanders for what's that, but what that's worth. Raven guard, uh, Raven guard. They've met, uh, 25 times. They've won 14, lost nine, drew two. So there's 60% win rate against Raven guard right now. Oh, it's kind of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, I mean, if you're running like Admech or Imperial Knights, it's a little more doom and gloom, I'd say. Um, they don't like that. Uh, Eldar getting getting absolutely stomped by most Iron Hands lists. Uh, they only have about a 28% win rate against Iron Hands, and that's over a good 40 games. Hmm. And yet, as you're any, so, were one of the uh, one of the guys who actually one of the factions that got a little bit of a lift uh, in, yep. the, in the Marine meta. That's interesting. If you look at Marines as a whole, uh, there's a couple factions that are actually performing better um, against the other ones. It's just Iron Hands that they have a struggle with. Yeah. Um, Eldar one, they actually have a, a, a like a D, it's it's basically close to a 50-50 versus Marines as a whole. I believe they're ahead by a game or two. Um, and Necrons, Necrons have one of the best win rates against Marines in this post IHFAQ, which I've been talking about for a while. Um, but other than with Iron Hands, Necrons are actually performing very well against essentially all of the rest. Um, Thousand Suns as well, same idea. Um, if it weren't for Iron Hands, they're winning the rest of their games against Space Marines. 
Um, so those are two lists. Now the Thousand Sons may be a little bit of TJ Lanigan. Yeah. Um, he's kind of repping the the primary Thousand Sons now. Um, he had been doing uh, Chaos Demons, but he's kind of switched because he's got that Magnus in his list. We'll talk to him later. Um, but yeah, like Marines as a whole, Necrons, Thousand Sons, and Eldar doing okay. Uh, okay to good. Um, Harlequins as well. They have the best rate into Marines, but there's not a lot of Harlequins players, unfortunately. And it makes sense because Skyweavers uh, are really good at killing vehicles in a lot of Marines lists. Um or killing things with that are tough to kill, like with the you know decent toughness values. The, yeah. Those uh, uh, Skyweaver jet bikes, they do work. So, so to bring it all all home here, I mean, <clears throat> looks like maybe the wave has crested a little bit on certainly the field percentage. Um, yes, you know, I was calling forty percent. I don't know. Maybe we'll see something nuts at LVO. I know I'm thinking immediately, like, well, I have no choice. I have to run Iron Hands. Um, maybe that will be the meta call others make. Um, but do you, um, where, where do you, where do you see things shifting here? Is it just up to the wild cards of psychic awakening to, to shift this? Um, are we going to be seeing more, more of this kind of, you know, overall dominance or, you know, how do you see things happening? I mean, you never know what's going to come out of psychic awakening. Um, the rumors are that everybody gets basically a very small lift and it's not enough. We've seen a lot of um, the previews for Psychic Awakening 2. Uh, Chaos Space Marines do get some pretty, you know, tasty buffs, I would say, from what we've seen so far, even just from GW. The Night Lord's um, no fallback stratagem looks fantastic if you can get a unit in there. Um, some of the Alpha Legion stuff, once they errata it so it actually works, looks pretty fun. Um <laughs> Yeah, like it's possible that some that, that there's something in Psychic Awakening that will that will kind of shift things a, a little bit, but I don't think anything shifts in, enough. A sixty percent win rate is something hard to come down from, without another kind of like arms racy broken faction to come out. Maybe Sisters of Battle does that. Um, that Miracle Dice um, rule is potentially extremely good. Mm -hmm. uh, like on paper it's amazing it just depends on how the rest of the codex plays out um, so we'll have to wait and see there if that's the case hey we might be in a Sisters of Battle and Space Marine uh, you know duel for a while um, but otherwise I don't see much changing until May I really don't think we're going to get that That being the next big fact yeah because um, chapter approved we know what was written six months ago so most of the stuff that's going to get fixed there is stuff that wasn't working six months ago um, and then you're going to see some stuff that probably doesn't need to be nerfed anymore get nerfed we'll, um, like, we'll see like, we'll see Maybe. I mean like there's a hope of course there's always a hope I mean, playtesters not... were grumbling about this what in the spring of last year so yeah know, so it's that would have been roughly possible. when they were writing chapter proof so so it's completely possible that they said, you know, plague bearers are really scary right now for people, but they're not going to be in six months, so we're not going to touch them. And that would be great. But I just have a, you know, a feeling that given the track record, what we've seen, probably not the case. You know, that being said, GW did fix the worst of the Iron Hand stuff. Like we've, like I've obviously I can't disregard all of the facts I've just laid out. Um, I mean, even some of the stuff I haven't said, like Marines, it's a little thing I've said in a couple posts. Um, in the first four weeks Marines were out, they had more undefeateds than any faction had in the first nine months I recorded data of this year. Wow. They had 24 undefeated lists in their first 
weeks. Um, the next best had been Chaos Demons, that it had 20, and that was over you know 36 weeks of data. All right. Well, on that happy note... Why don't we uh, wind this one down? We've, uh, I think we've uh, gone pretty deep on this dive, and yep. uh, and maybe we should return to our regularly scheduled tournament coverage. Yeah, this is going to end up being like a four-hour episode. I feel because I get too excited about stats. Anyway, guys, if you're interested in like taking a deeper look or or anything else, you can always contact me at 40kstats.com. I'm always happy to talk about numbers. Um, when I'm not super busy, I'm sorry if I don't respond right away. Um, other, otherwise, you can go yourself. Go right to the website. You can download the files, play with them, do what you like. Just be careful about about uh, working with numbers. Always always understand. Um, you want to use uh, decent references. Don't just pull like one week's of data worth of data and say this is definitive proof of anything. And uh, yeah, let's get back to the actual show. Or you know, do all of those things and be like a broader society and civilization. Let's I like hit, that. Let's hit that bump. Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCP TO app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system. Download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for iOS and Android. Bestcoastpairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. Hotlanta, Georgia. Some say the cultural capital of black America the home of trap music and countless musical acts at the avant-garde of hip-hop like Outkast and the Dungeon Family, Migos, and even 2 Chains. Its kitchens have birthed my personal favorite flavor of chicken wings, lemon pepper. And naturally, it's also home to one of the largest mid-sized 40K tournaments around, Warzone Atlanta. Clocking in at a measly 164 players and recently transported to where all great events are located, right near the airport, Warzone Atlanta has grown significantly this year, for the first time since kicking off five years ago. After a long period of being an exclusive good old boys club, Warzone opened the doors for the wider competitive scene to join in on the premium table service and bespoke mission set. Known knowns like Richard the Milfshake Siegler, Sean Let Me See You Nay Nay Naden, Stephen Orenthal James Four, and Matt Nicknames Shuck Shuckman, competed against previous year stalwarts like Stephen Chronic 2019 Mitchell, Nick Free Agent Nanavati, Mike Twitch Hitter Twitchell, and Adam the OKS General Abramowitz. We got in touch with T.O. Kelly, California Wallace, to give us the skinny on his fatty event. This is the fifth year that the general staff has put on Warzone Atlanta. Our core concept for Warzone Atlanta has always been to provide the first-class cabin version of a 40K tournament. That means we provide a catered lunch on site both days so you don't have to leave the venue to eat lunch with your friends, a dedicated bar, and even a table service for drinks. For the first four years, we were at a smaller hotel on the north side of Atlanta, but we've been selling out at a maximum capacity of 120 players year after year. It was actually becoming a problem as people began to see Warzone as an invitational type event. This year, we moved to a new venue and the capacity to host 180 players. Uh, we uh, saw a lot of fresh faces and first-time attendees, and we kicked off the event last Saturday at 168 players. We run the Warzone Atlanta mission set, which has been refined over the years. 
The five missions that get played are selected from a carefully curated mission primer that we are always working on with the goal of providing a balanced challenge across the whole tournament, not specifically for mission to mission. Players are encouraged to bring lists that can deal with any of the possible combinations, which include elements that aren't necessarily familiar to players who primarily play ITC missions, including the dreaded relic. We draw heavily from players in the Southeast, uh, an area that has its own unique meta. Uh, However, with the rise of podcasts such as Stat Center and the number of players who are willing to travel to events outside of the region, the meta has been rapidly shifting to match what we're seeing everywhere else. This year, we had a lot of new players at Warzone, a lot of first-time players, including a number of well-known powerhouses from Florida, such as Richard Siegler and Mark Perry of Brohammer, Sean Naden and Juice from Team Battle Brothers, and Nick Nanavati, Matt Shookman, and Brad Nichols from Beast Coast. I want to give a special shout-out to the whole general staff team who make the event possible, especially Stephen Cosgrove, who takes our vision and makes it happen. I also want to thank the guys from Pro Tabletop, who did some first-class work on streaming for this year's event uh, and used uh, other general staffers, Thomas Bird and Damian Owen, as their uh, on-air personalities. Great job, guys. Given Warzone Atlanta's newly minted big boy status, big boy. and a distinctly southern desire to stick to well-worn quote-unquote traditions, Warzone Atlanta maintained its five-round format and resulted in four 5-0 runs when all was said and done. First up, let's take a peek at Stephen Mitchell's list, whose last and next album was The Chronic. All right, Stephen Mitchell's Warzone Atlanta list. Um, here we go. It's a battalion detachment of Necrons of the Sawtech dynasty, uh, led by a Cryptech and uh, Imatech the Stormlord. Totally know who that is. He's the Warlord. And then uh, he's got three units of Immortals, uh, two units of 10, one of nine, all with the Tesla Carbine because they are so fine. And then the Elites, we got uh, Satan, perhaps Catan, Shard of the Deceiver, a Triarch Stalker. Uh, with the twin heavy Gauss cannon, and then in heavy support we've got uh, two count them two Tesseract arc arcs, also with the uh, Gauss cannons, and then next up we've got another Sawtech spearhead, and this one's led by a lord who's directing around three Doomsday arcs. Ah, oh, yeah, this is different is slightly. It? Yeah, so your normal Necron list um, has been absolutely in love with the triple croissant um, because of the massive amount of mortal wounds it can do if you happen to have them survive uh, that uh, to do it, right? Mm-hmm. If you go second and someone kills one of them, it really sucks. If you go first and you're popping three D3 mortal wounds and a radius, A1 steak sauce uh, when it pull it off. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it does have some weaknesses. Once, once the Iron Hands orbital bombardment list gets off the ground. Yeah, right? Exactly. Um, but this change to Tesseract Arc is really interesting. Um, I believe Michael Timpe from the uh, High Lords of Terra goes a little more in-depth into this list and a couple others that he saw at the event on High Lords of Terra this last week. Um, it And so I'm not going to talk too far into it. But mm-hmm. the Gauss Cannons are, uh, with the Tesseract Arcs are a real treat. I really like it. It definitely worked for him. And uh, the Shard of the Deceiver... Just being able to shift your whole, you know, uh, squad of bodies around um, at the beginning of the game is super helpful if you need to get a uh, line of sight or positioning on somebody or just to hide. Yeah, and uh, just pre-event in my one Warzone warm-up, I actually played Callie Wallace, and uh, it was this list or something very, very similar to it, and I smoked it. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, teed that up. 
Well, I guess he's nice. not, that's why he's the TO, right? That's right. It's just like r- rules writers and TOs. Terrible at, at 40K. Also, mm. podcasters. Um, it's true. <laughs> someone had to win. Um, <laughs> and then also, I just wanted to say here, before we move on, a fellow Tau player, Brenton, came up to tell me that his son Carter is a big fan of the show. Aww. And originally, I was going to make fun of the fact that Carter plays Necrons, but clearly there's something to these zombie robots that you've chosen as your army. And I just want you to remember, never repeat anything that Falcon says until you're much, much older. Perhaps never. Oh, f*** off. I'm a fucking role model. A picture of f***ing serenity in a sea of In fourth place, there was Nick, totally not Sean Naden Gower, running a charming Eldari list. Let's have a look at his tech for the event. So Nick Gower ran a, a Cabal of the Blackheart Battalion. He had Narcon in there. He had a second Archon in there. He had a bunch of Cabalite Warriors. We're looking at one squad, two squads, three squads, four squads, five squads, six squads, seven squads, eight squads, nine squads, ten squads, eleven squads of Cabalite Warriors. <laughs> what an animal. And most of them had a blaster in there. A couple of them didn't. He then had a, let's see, one squad of Cabalite Trueborn with Shredders. A second squad with blasters, and then a third squad with nothing. They're just hanging out. Um, he then had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven venoms. So you know he's obviously not going for any kind of trend here, just playing the mission. <laughs> um, and then he had a supreme command uh, detachment of Inari with an Autark Skyrunner. A second Otark Skyrunner and the Incarn. Otark, Autark, Etark. I'll say whatever I want. And then the Incarn, as I said. Mm. Uh, now, Warzone Atlanta did not use um, the Psychic Awakening rules, uh, no. I believe. Yeah. So he had to pay full price for that Incarn, the full 337, like a chump. No wonder he came in fourth place. <laughs> Nick Gower, your list is cancer. But I love it. Absolutely. I mean, it's a delightful list. And on the Psychic Awakening trip, uh, Captain Nene was definitely looking uh, looking very much forward to uh, the uh, the juice of Psychic Awakening. Awakening. So. Yeah. From looking at his list, it seemed very much built um, for when Psychic Awakening came out. And then it, he didn't get that for Warzone. But anyway. You know, we're not talking about Nene. We're talking about... Mr. Gower, so why don't we pass it over to him and he can tell us all about this nonsense. Hi, my name's Nick Gower. Um, I played a Dark Eldar Yanari army at uh, Warzone Atlanta this past weekend. Uh, is there anything special about about the list? I was running 11 Venoms, uh, the Akarn, and two Artarks on jet bikes. Um... My approach to the list was kind of swarm them with Venoms and use the Yakarn and the two Artarks as distractions and, you know, units that could tie up scary shooting um, units uh, while my Venoms dealt with everything else. Uh, what unit was my MVP for the weekend? I didn't really have a unit that stood out. Um, I mean, all, all the units did their roles... Um, that, that I expected them to do. The Akarn finally got his points back in one or two of the battles. Um, but the biggest standout for this weekend and, and why this weekend went so well for me 
was because my blasters in all my units actually hit and wounded uh, for basically all five of my, my uh, games. Uh, they were average to above average um, almost every single match, which, considering most of my dice rolls for them normally whiff, uh, it was a huge plus and one of the reasons why uh, my army did so well. The highlights of the tournament was uh, I got to play and, and meet so many people that I haven't met or played before. Uh, all five of my rounds was the first time playing against uh, each individual, um, which I always find great when I play in, in tournaments out of out of Texas. Because, you know, in Texas, we have five or six tournaments, and I see the same people in over and over again. And, you know, it's great to see them. It's great to hang out with them. But I always enjoy going out to out-of-state tournaments uh, when I do have the time and able to and, and just meet new people and, and interact with them um, from various states and just to see the atmosphere and see all these cool, relaxed, different people meeting and playing this awesome hobby. Um, so that was probably my highlights for the tournament. You know, got to play in, in missions that weren't ITC and I got to play with a bunch of great individuals. And I just had a blast all five rounds with versus all of them. Now, if you were to ask Kelly Wallace, who won Warzone Atlanta, I hope you have a few minutes. One does not simply win Warzone. No, no. There are, in fact, three top and equally weighted prizes, one of which, Imperial Envoy for Best Sports and Demonstration of Xenophobia, yours truly brought home in 2017. Warzone even caused a pissy fit on Comp40K last year, for awarding ITC points based on, not on pure battle, but on their overall winner, the Sigilite. This year, amongst such a crowded field of not only high battle points, but also generally amicable and skilled hobbyists, how could one hope to crown an overall sort of winner? Well, there was one man who would take this crown, and he's a man we've come to be as fond of as a sex on the beach ordered to our table from just a few booths over. The Tau Terror the Floridian Professor of Illicit Sex Acts, the one, the only, the Sigilite, Richard Siegler. In terms of how my list has changed over time, in about the last six months, I've mostly been running the same list, uh, with only a couple minor tweaks. So since Nova, I've added a third Pathfinder team, just to get that extra uh, grab drone. And this is mainly because White Scars exist, and the Snare Captain is very, very powerful against Tau. But other than that, I've largely kept the same concept and kind of just played around with the configuration of drones. So my highlight game for this weekend was, of course, my round two uh, against Nick Nadavati. And if you haven't been, been able to catch that game, please check out the Pro Tabletop stream. It was an excellent, really, really tight game. Um, and I ended up pulling it out at the bottom of turn five when the game ended. And if it had gone on, uh, I think Nick would have actually got me. Uh, so it's an excellent, really tight game, a lot of swing points. Um, I had a really good first turn taking out a Thunderfire Cannon and some Intercessors, and then putting Nick's Captain and his and a Tech Marine in a bad position. But Nick countered by killing a Riptide in his second turn, um, just down to, the right, down to that exact last wound. Um, and then we kind of traded key units. I was able to kill the Redemptor. He killed another Riptide. Um, and by the end... It was mostly, he had um, two of his Dreadnoughts left, a Thunderfire Cannon, and a couple Intercessor units. In my final round, uh, against a literal gentleman and scholar, Max Steele, I was very fortunate in seizing the initiative. 
um, against his Chaos Knight, um, Chaos Demons list. And I was able to take out one of the knights and a bunch of his infantry in my first turn. And that really allowed me to snowball as I was able to control the middle of the board and start taking out. And my second turn, I took out another knight, uh, the double Avenger Gatling cannon one, and I started to do a lot of damage. Um, but Mac played really, really well. At one point, he was almost able to get, you know, maybe he could have gotten 12 primary points just by taking over a couple objectives um, by deep striking in a pink horror unit and s using all of his um, spare summoning points to uh, expand them over um, several objectives. Um, and that nearly worked out, but in my turn I was able to take them off the objective so they couldn't score at the top of his turn. I'd like to give a couple shoutouts. Uh, first is to all of my opponents, Wayne Birch, Nick Nadavati, Justin Jones, uh, Bobby Birmingham, and then finally uh, Max Steele. They were all incredible opponents, um, absolute pleasures to play against, and by and large, um, Warzone has um, an incredible atmosphere. Just a ton of really good players, uh, most of the best players in the South are there, and then a lot of other great players like Sean Naden, Nick Nadavati, Matt Shuckman are all traveling as well. Um, and so it's incredibly competitive atmosphere, but by and large, everybody is playing the game the right way. Uh, very, very high sportsmanship at the event. Um, absolutely pleasure to play there. Finally, to bring it all home, as it were, we arrive at the also sort of winner of Warzone Atlanta, the Warmaster. Colloquially known to many as the best general, it's awarded to the player with the most amount of battle points in the tournament. This title, of course, would have gone to Richard Siegler had he not won the slightly more equal prize of Sigilite, but... You see, that's not the kind of stuff dreams are made of. And sitting three points behind Siegler was someone who was not only dressed like someone who specializes in happy endings, but is one of the happier endings himself. We go to the pro tabletop booth for the call. Adam, Adam, Bravo, Bravo, Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls! Woo! Take your shirt off! Take your shirt off! Oh my God! He did it! Straight skin on the butt. That was there. Ah, no yes. There. That's right. <laughs> straight skin on the butt. Adam Abramowitz, oh, a man literally created a podcast called The Best General to document his quest to win Best General at Warzone Atlanta by some bizarre twist of fate, actually won Best General. The Best General podcast started three years ago. It is perhaps the first of the 40K podcasts to actually try hard at being a podcast. Using, using excellent production elements and a terrible microphone, Adam was part of a first wave of content producers that sought to elevate the skills needed to play and win 40K tournaments to the same level as those needed to win a Golden Demon. Without the best general, there quite simply would not be a 40K stat center. So, without further ado... Let's hear from the man himself, Adam Abramowitz, Falcon, the War Master and Best General for Warzone Atlanta 2019. Yeah, Val uh, and Peter, um, I know you haven't heard a lot from me since last Warzone. It's been incredibly busy. Um, you know, the new gig with the Army Painter has me traveling around a bit, but 
cool thing is I do get to go to more events, but it does leave little time for recording and prep work. You know, as I go into Warzone this year, the third year since I started down this best general journey, you know, I didn't feel quite as prepared. You know, obviously I've come a long way and I feel more confident in my abilities as a player. Uh, but, you know, my wife even said, you know, last year you're getting yourself all pumped up saying, you know, I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to win this thing. This year it was, it was not the case. So last year bringing the, the crack in nids was, yeah, definitely like a, another 11th hour choice, but one that really suited my play style at the time being hyper aggressive, but I've learned a, a lot since then. And I've learned how to play the cage match a little bit better. You know, the Iron Hands list stems from a lot of things. When I first started seeing the Marine leaks and then the books started coming out, I was thinking, oh, it's fine. I, I can I can play my GSC with this. And I had been kind of crafting Gene Stealer Colt since LVO. But after talking with, you know, some of the best Gene Stealer Colt and Tyranid players in the world, it became pretty evident that they were not going to cut it. So... I sat down with Nanavati, and what I really attempted to do was to build an Iron Hands counter list. So I thought that in the Iron Hands mirror match, even pre-fac, that having the the flyers up in the air that are negative one to hit, uh, you know, and the extra cover save would give me just a little added durability and mobility to go out and dig out some of the units that might be hiding on top of objectives. There's nothing real special about this list. Uh, I, I think that the you know, the speeders are kind of, people are always like, you're, you're playing land speeders. I love playing the speeders. Uh, I, I honestly am considering potentially dropping the lieutenant in my list to add another one in. Um, thought about dropping maybe two of the storm talons, three of the storm talons for a repulsor and some extra speeders. Speeders are fantastic in this list because you have to focus on just the oppressive threat of all of that firepower in your face. And you don't get to deal with the Steelers and, excuse me, the Speeders until later turns of the game. You know, and that brings me to my MVP unit. Um, you know, you think that the Flyers are, but they're, you know, I'm used to playing aggressive lists. And these are almost like that first wave of Gene Steelers that you throw out there, or that first blob of Acolytes that you throw out. You're not quite so afraid to lose them. So when you're sending the Flyers in, you know that they're going to, to lose them. And if, if you know, your opponent doesn't shoot them out the sky you know, the game's yours anyways, but the MVP unit was, I have one land speeder that has a heavy bolter and typhoon missile launcher. He was clutch in picking off like the final three wounds on a Leviathan or a tank or, you know, something like that. That unit was just unstoppable because you could hang him back on an objective, keep him halfway in cover and, you know, throw those strength eight with, you know, all of the built-in rerolls from the successor chapter traits and the devastator doctrine uh, you know, way down range. It, it was awesome. Uh, love that unit. My favorite match from the weekend, you know, it's really hard to say. I, I played some great opponents. Um, you know, I, I got a, a little bit of payback on a guy who beat me in the final round at a local GT a few months ago. I got to play a, a really great friend, a longtime friend, John Ross. Uh, played a new guy, uh, Weston. We had a, a great game. It didn't go in his favor. You know, it's hard. It's hard to... to top the match against Sean that was on the pro tabletop stream because you know Sean's a guy that I went to Serbia with as as his coach and he was my captain he's one of if not the best 40k player in the world you know he plays a tricky list it's not always straightforward 
So you, you, you can't trust that his game plan, the game plan that you think that he's putting out there is the game plan that you're going to see. And being able to pull that off was, uh, was pretty special. Um, I think I, I made a lot of really solid moves in that game. I, I urge anybody to, to go watch the Pro Tabletop stream. They did a great job all weekend. But, um, you know, it felt, it felt pretty good in moments. I don't want to say that I felt confident like the game was in my hands. But, you know, watching Sean sit and think and, and trying to read his body language throughout the game, um, you know, was somewhat of an in-game confidence booster. And walking away from that game just, I mean, it, it felt like such a huge accomplishment for me. I, I, uh, I, I'm still kind of baffled at how I pulled that one off. The top table match, you, you know, watch the round five coverage from Pro Tabletop. They do cut back to... Uh, my game with David Fields, and uh, that game has scary firepower. I played against, you know, a Centurion and uh, Leviathan, you know, Ultramarine's gunline a couple times uh, in the lead-up to this on Friday, and it's got just nasty firepower, and I I put myself into a hole early on. I, I knew I needed to stay out of range of the Centurions and the Aggressors, and I think just coming off the game with Sean, I, 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 I didn't have a clear head. It was probably the one moment all weekend where I really lost focus. And David, you know, to his credit, was able to pull four flyers out of the sky, turn one. Uh, I only got his Leviathan down to one wound. I had to allocate more Typhoon missiles at him. I wanted to put some into the repulsor to try and bracket that one down. I was able to kill all but one aggressor turn one. But in that game, you know, it, you know, sometimes things just don't go your way and you have to play the mission. You know, at my next turn, I had two flyers left and they completely whiffed even with all of the rerolls. Sometimes that happens. But, you know, I had eliminators in good position. I feel like I, I outdeployed the objectives in that game. And I was able to, to rush up early with those speeders, again, my MVP units, which gained me an additional bonus point in that mission. So I was up very early on and listening to the weather casters that were popping around, you know, Chad and Price, I could hear them saying, you know, Adam, this is, you know, it doesn't look real good for Adam over here. It doesn't look real good for Adam over here. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, if he makes a couple mistakes, I'm still going to win this game. And fortunately for me, uh, you know, David, I, I don't think he understood the mission. We actually just talked today. I don't think he understood the mission very well. And uh, I just capitalized on that and somehow managed to score 25 points after nearly being tabled. Oh, you want to know if Nanavati cried when I was announced best general? I, I don't think that he cried, but he, he kept telling me how proud of me he was. Um, he th just kept reiterating that. I think at one point he told me, um, I don't know what he said. I think he said that like, like it's it, like you're, you're accomplished now. Like you, you, you're, you're a player and, you know, that made me feel, that made me feel nice. Uh, you know, I, I lost to him in a tight game last year at Warzone and, uh, Nick's been a buddy of mine since I had him on my show the first time we've traveled to events together. Um, you know, I, I convinced him to come down to Warzone last year and he went out and told all of his buddies what a great event it was. And, you know, part of why I started this podcast obviously is because I wanted to, to prove that I could be better at this game and not just a guy who paints decently that I, I could go out there and win some games too. And it required an awful lot of help. And I got a lot of help from the community, um, you know, from Nick to 
Thomas Bird to Whitaker to I mean anybody that's been on the show, Mike Brandt and to my Team USA teammates. Um, I, I couldn't have done this without their help. And you know, I just want to say, you know, mainly, uh, you know, thank you for the opportunity to have me on this show ever since you started. I remember when Val was just a, a wee little 40k nerd and reached out to me about my podcast and we ended up getting to play it at Warzone three years ago and um you know it's great to see you guys doing this I love Stat Center and uh, I think you guys are doing a great job but I I really want to thank everybody that's listened and cheered and and uh you know kind of rooting me on this whole entire way and also to the guys at Warzone Atlanta um Kelly Stephen Cosgrove the rest of the general staff these are my club mates for sure but I do think that they put on one of the best 40K events, if not the best in the world. And um, I'm really proud to kind of represent them as their best general for at least this next year. Thanks, Adam, for uh, for your comments there and all the other people at Warzone Atlanta. I was actually there. I don't know if you even said that once. It was a fabulous event, as always, my third in a row, which is messed up. And uh, we'll see if we'll make it a fourth. Let's hit that bump. Tournament news. This is the best general, Adam Abramowitz, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center, your number one source for 40K news and tournament information. Extra, extra, read all about it. The boys is back in Rochester, and he's taking war games to the parking lots. Justin Curtis, we're doing a Newsies bit? A Newsies bit? Half our listeners weren't alive for the Newsies, Val. Brenton's son, he's never seen a newspaper, probably. I don't even think you know who the Newsies were. Huh. Hey, 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 what are you getting at? Mister, you interested in the paper or what? I gots to make a living here. Stop your gawking and get to getting. Okay, 100% we're not doing this, Val. Can't we hit them with the information like regular people for once? That's where you're wrong. Information don't sell papes. Newsies sell papes. And I'm like a 55-year-old newsie for some reason. <laughs> and we's the newsies of the war, Hammerwolf Falcone. We make the headlines. You ain't famous unless you're on Stat Center. And when you're famous, you can start your own podcast. And when you got your podcast, you get your own paywall. And then you have it all. That's the war game and dream, man. That, uh, yeah, that got weird. Re- like, mildly accurate, but really weird. Anyway... Let's take our listeners to the actual heart and soul of Rochester, New York, Henrietta, for the fourth annual Du Bois GT, a 108-player major on the much-vaunted East Coast. Du Bois features a unique mission set that takes all the things people don't like and merges them into something that is somehow satisfying, I'm told. Maelstrom objectives? You got them. Unique takes on ITC Nova's uh, uh, primaries without actually using them? Sure. Tertiary objectives that are similar to Nova and ITC secondaries, but far more limited? Oh, yeah. That's all the boxes ticked for me, baby. A relatively stacked event, Du Bois featured the likes of Ivanhoe Cho, Shane 1.21 Giga Watts, and Anthony the Bird is the Word Birdsong, battling it out over, take some notes here, Warzone Atlanta, six whole rounds of Warhammer. That's right, the boys from Du Bois don't balk at playing a little late on Sunday, or maybe taking in an extra game on a Saturday, unlike all those people that claim they have responsibilities in the South and across the pond. Wah, I'm a teacher and need to be back at work. Suck it up. Be like Salty John and let your students wait. 
You probably teach history, so they don't want to hear from you anyway. We want to be treated to not five, not six, not seven, but only two to three undefeated players in an event. And when this event was all said and done, we got what we wanted. Nick, there she blows Rose, and the terror of Tiska himself, TJ Lanigan, came out on top at Du Bois. Now, Nick Rose, the eventual winner, was unable to record anything for us this week. His work has only left him with just enough free time to practice his barking lot Muay Thai, and not enough to grace us with his benevolent presence. However, despite appearances, there just isn't enough Nicholas Montgomery Rose to go around. Let's take a quick look at his list for posterity's sake. So Nick Rose, he ran an Iron Hands Brigade with Master Artisans and Stealthy as a successor, and he had the Indominus Crusaders Specialist Detachment. His HQs were two librarians, uh, both with four staves, one with a jump pack, and a Primaris Captain with Power Sword, and a Tech Marine with nothing fancy, just 45 points of glory. In his troop slots, he had one squad of ten Intercessors, and then uh, three squads of five mans, and two scout squads. Uh, three of the the three five man uh, intercessor squads were all stalker bolt rifle. The ten man was plain old bolt rifle. In his elite slots, he had three Invictor tactical war suits with the iron hail auto cannons. And in his fast attack, he had three land speeders, all with typhoon missile launchers and heavy bolters. In heavy support, he had that two twin las cannon mortis dreadnought, two thunderfires, and he topped it all off with an impulser. That is a delight. I want to run yes. that. I want to it, run that so bad. This is a pretty wicked list. Oh um, man, that list sounds like so much fun. It it uh, it hits all the right notes, really. Um, no flyers like you've seen from a lot of people, um, but it's got a lot of ground presence, and it it uh, it's just like a really toolboxy list, and I I like it. I like all of it. I wouldn't know how to use any of those tools, but damn it, I'm going to I'm going to field some sort of a of a brigade like that someday. Anyway, let's, let's go to the clips. Nope. Bottle up your disappointment, people. Nick will be back. We have a very special report coming up over the next few months, and he will be a big part of it. That being said, we were able to get our hands on Mr. Second Place where it matters himself, TJ Lanigan. And he was happy to delve into uh, just where his latest trip to the upper echelons of 40K has taken him. Let's take a second look at TJ's new Chaos Hotness. So TJ Lanigan ran a Chaos Undivided Battalion with Poxbringer, the Changeling, 10 Brimstone Horrors, 29 Plague Bearers, and a squad of 20 Plague Bearers. He then had a Thousand Suns Supreme Command Attachment with Ariman, two Demon Princes of Zinch, and good old Magnus the Red. And he topped it all off with the Poxbringer and three Plague Burst Prowlers in a Death Guard Detachment. Absolutely lovely. Of course, we heard TJ uh, talking about this list uh, last week. Um, everyone loves to see Magnus. Why don't we uh, kick over to him and hear how this tournament went for him? So, uh, changes to the list, um, I was trying to get really skilled with the list that I had run in the last GT, so I really tried to take the same list and try to see if I could do, the, have the same results as the last tournament with basically the same list. Mm -hmm. So I really, um, tried to just take the same list and basically just play around that list, no matter what the mission or deployment or secondaries objectives were, and it's 
the missions for Du Bois this year were very similar to ITC, so there wasn't a lot of deviation. Uh, Maelstrom cards are different, but um, you got to take six of the cards out, so that kind of helped out a lot. And then you got to start with two, so that definitely helped as well. So that definitely changed the dynamic of a normal Maelstrom deck. So for MVP, uh, you know, I mean, in a list that has a 445-point uh, Primark, I would have to give it to Magnus. I mean, but, um, you know, if I wasn't to give it to Magnus, I would definitely say it would have to be a Plague Burst Crawlers for the weekend. They did um, a fantastic amount of work. They were instrumental in taking out long-range targets and kind of surviving um, against, you know, uh, executioners and things shooting at them that should normally kill them and high-strength uh, missile launchers and bright lances and things like that. So that was really good. Uh, taking out the Thunderfire Cannon from across the field was also pretty good for them as well. And then on my last match, they just went ham. They basically just um, chased down all these flyers for my Eldar matchup that basically just caused me to win because they would just flame it off the table. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, my favorite part of the weekend... Uh, I'd say my last game with uh, Eric um, is always a, Eric's a great, fantastic player. He's played on ETC Canada for the last three years, so we always have a good game. Um, he managed to seize on me with his lovely mm -hmm. Canadian dice, so that was uh, quite terrifying because I had already planned on going first, um, and then he shot his entire army to Magnus, who then didn't die. So that was pretty crazy because uh, you know six six Eldar flyers should probably kill him. Um, but I think after doing the math, we realized he should be alive, but very, very low. And then my other good, um, part to the weekend was, um, going, uh, on turn two against mm -hmm. my Iron Hands matchup, which was round five. I did like 30 mortal wounds on turn two, killed all three of his flyers, uh, sorry, killed two of his flyers and his speeder. And that's with six ball feeling pain as well. So that was pretty crazy to do that much damage. Ah, that's just swell. Congrats to Nick and TJ for keeping their train to the LVO on the tracks, and may your future be brighter than the newspaper industries. Tournament News. I'm Michael. I'm Alex. I'm Will. And we're the High Lords of Terror, and you're listening to 40K Stats. Ahora te lavamos a España para el torneo de equipos Warhammer más grande llamas registrado. Tish. That's French. Nope. Ah, yeah. The ninth Talvera team tournament took place two weekends ago at the Salones Prado del Arca in Talavera de la Reina, Spain. Whew. Arguably the most spectacular venue we have ever seen for a Warhammer event, complete with marble floors, golden fountains, and flying buttresses. Anyone that knows me uh, knows I love a good buttress. These Spaniards really know how to throw down in style. Frontline Gaming should take note. 500 out of 500 of the original Latin Gandalfs agree that Talvera Team Tournament is the place to be. 40K in Spanish, you say? 500 plus players? What's next? All day breakfast at McDonald's? Legal marijuana? This is absolutely absurd. To find out more about this so-called thriving Spanish 40K scene, we reached out to Zandre, host of La Voz de Horas, for some insight on what's going down on the Iberian Peninsula, and also 
to answer a question that has bothered me for a very long time. If GW struggles to write rules in English, what the hell is it like in translation? Hi, Val. Thank you for having us in the podcast. It's an honor. Well, actually, team events are the standard competitive tournament in Spain. There is a long tradition with roots in the European Team Championship, so the most competitive players in Spain give priority to team events over individual tournaments. Anyway, there is a lot of individual tournaments as well, but the big dates are finally team events. That's, that's the star in Spain. Well, 40k is growing unstoppable, and competitive play is growing in the same rate. Just as a note, our first episode of La Voz de Horus podcast three years ago had 3,000 or 4,000 listeners, and that was good. Now we have episodes with more than 29,000 listeners. So that's a good indicator of the big, big popularity of 40k now in Spain. It's growing a lot. Sadly, there are some mistakes during translation, not just in lore, but in rules or even in numbers, yes. So usually, most players use the original English version of the rules during games. It's a big issue for Games Workshop side, because we want the lore translated, but we need much better translators. If not, what's the point of translating if you take the low-cost option? Customers will buy the English version, not the Spanish version. And then there is no point to translate. Hold on a second, Val. Did he say 29,000 downloads for his podcast? Yeah. Like one show? Uh-huh. What the fuck? <laughs> if I knew we were going to have the Spanish Carl Tuttle on the show, I would have worn a better shirt. Heck, I would have worn a shirt, period. Also, in totally unrelated news, starting next week, we're going to be a Spanish-speaking podcast. If you folks want to uh, continue slumming it with us in English, you're going to have to get those numbers up. Clearly, we are pandering to the completely wrong language group. Plus, we've been missing out on CSs this whole time. Anyway, let's speak with Fair, who was the TO of the event and also, like most Europeans, beat me at the ETC in 2018. Seriously. That's how much the universe hates me. Thank you very much for inviting us to, to your podcast. It is an, an honor for, for us. Um, I'm Fernando. I'm a member uh, of El Cobrador del Guag. Uh, it's 40k club uh, from Madrid in Spain. We have been doing this tournament since 2011. And this has been the ninth edition. In the tournament, uh, we work a 40k club and a hobby store uh, located in Talavera called uh, Invasion. This year has been a challenge for us um, because we have uh, managed to make the biggest 40k team tournament in the world and the biggest uh, 40k tournament in Europe and uh, third in the world, uh, just behind uh, the Las Vegas Open and uh, Adepticon in Chicago. We are we're very happy with with the result of, of the tournament. The reviews have been fantastic. The the format uh, has been um, ITC thanks to this tournament that there will be a Spanish ranking, which um, has made us and the whole community uh, quite happy. Uh, it is true that the result has been quite good. Um, we hope to improve it in the coming years. 
as for the tournament, um, I can tell you that uh, practically the total number of players are Spanish. Only only two of 40, uh, 456 were a German this year. We are a country of a small distance, uh, not like uh, the USA, for example. Players uh, from all over the country come to the tournament, including uh, Islas Canarias and uh, Islas Baleares. As uh, as for the, the metagame, and we saw uh, we saw a lot of iron hands uh, because the the list uh, were uh, sent before the fact. Um, many tau force wall um, was allowed, although um, we didn't see great things. Okay, uh, thank you for inviting us once again. Um, I hope my audios uh, will be useful in your pockets. Helps. Bye bye. Although I didn't know it was you, I remember our game uh, perfectly. I was lucky with table and I was able to choose one with a lot of blows. Thanks to it, I was able to make a, a chart with Jen Steelers throughout the world and you couldn't overwatch. I remember you as an excellent opponent and um, as very very nice game in my defense i did score five of my six points of the tournament versus fair and totally didn't deploy my army right next to a ruin to set up that blind charge from gene Steelers. but uh yeah let's wrap up our coverage of talvera by bringing on the champions of the event team at trespass at trespass mary at trespass Hi, I'm Javier, the Iron Hands player. Hello, and I'm Texas, the Drukari Craftworlds player. We are both regular listeners of your program, so we decided to participate together. Mainly, we want all of us to come with lists that we feel good to play with. We close the Iron Hands and the Tau list very fast. They will be our list to play with not very populated tables where they cannot shoot other, other armies. When the Deadland was closed, we took the decision to break our Astra Militarum list with the Blood Angels in favor to the, to the Dead Watch. With that, we have five lists that can fight well against Imperial Knights, and our Astra list will be the last option against these big machines. Adding indirect fire, we improve its quality against orcs like Orcs or Genestealer Cult. When we saw the other lists, we thought that our lists were not the best. Our Death Watch plus Blue Dungeons list was full of Cyclone misses to give it more punch against high thawness. Our Tau list was focused against Fly, because right now this keyword is very popular in the Spanish meta. For the Demos list, we made a big spite spam, changing the very popular Epitomet or the Demon Prince of Corn with more Thousand Song Princes. Our Astra list was full of Valhalla infantry to shoot against combat and avoid orcs and Genestealer cult to trap units. About the Iron Hands and the Eldar list, we choose the most popular meta options, Ravagers, Executioners, Crimson Hunter. Our Dead Watch list need table to perform, so 
most of the times we use this list as a first shield to take a good table for it. After that, our iron hands list was able to outshoot everyone, so we throw it to take the list that bothers the most or an easy list to make a lot of points against. But before that, we always check the tables to see if the objectives were hidden or not, to know if the deadwood list was going to be useful at all. Or we can use another another shield as Astra or Tau. We all contributed a good number of points to the team. When one could not get the points we need, the performance of the rest of the team saved the difference and that kept us on the top of the classification. The player who gave us most points was our Tau, Chris, thank you Chris, with 216 points total. His points added to the almost secure Iron Hands victories and the reliability of the rest of the list give us the much desired advantage. It's also very important to highlight the work of our captain, Patuka, who worked very closely with the team before the event, in Skype calls and on the tables. He helped us with anything we needed during the event and encouraged us to not relax and to stay highly competitive. The very best of the event, well, we had two really emotional moments. In order to make you guys understand, Spanish 40k community is such a small community, so anytime there's a big event, as soon as you arrive, you find yourself surrounded of a lot of good old friends, people you only see a couple of times in the year. Everyone is happy, everyone is smiling, you know that you will be spending the next three days with them and it will be such a unique experience. The second emotional moment was right after the last round, but before all the teams finished their games, we were slowly realizing that we could win the tournament and all that long hour of dedication and preparation and when you finally get there, it's crazy. It's a moment of immense joy. I want to say gracias to all the teams that participated because together we make this hobby greater. Huge thanks to El Cobrador del Wag and Invasión Talavera, the organizers of this tremendous event that already becomes part of Spanish and Europe history. They managed to do the impossible, put together 76 teams, 456 players and they did it flawlessly. Best regards to Frontline Gaming, 40k Stat Center, but also Signals from the Frontline, 40k Chapter Tactics, Art of War, and of course, La Voz de Orus, and every, every podcast out there that makes this hobby better. We are all your everyday listeners. Thank you. Congrats to everyone over in Spain for putting together an event that would have been world class anywhere it was held. Now, let's let our new amigos at La Voz de Horus take us out. La Voz de Horus El podcast semanal sobre Warhammer 40.000 que le gusta a los dioses del caos a todos los senos y hasta al moribundo emperador Bienvenidos al centésimo, trigésimo cuarto programa de La Voz de Horus un programa con un título un poco rimbombante y es que los torneos... Hola, soy Sandre de La Voz de Horus y estás escuchando 40K Stat Center. Let's hammer out some quickies and get to the good stuff. That's what she said. Ah, oh, shut up. That is what she said. 
Okay, first up, for all the folks who didn't buy their tickets to Warzone fast enough, we had the Croziest GT, 38-player ITC extravaganza in Charlotte, North Carolina. Kevin, Papa Roach would end up taking it all with Red Scorpions as a Raven Guard successor. Cut my life into pieces and take it away, Kevin. Hello, my name is Kevin Roach. I won the Croziest GT ran by Field of Fire Games last weekend. Uh, I was running a... Uh, Red Scorpion Raven Guard successor list that was using long range marksman and stealthy. Um, the broad contour of the list is it runs 12 assault centurions and five devastator centurions with grav amps and really a bunch of different HQ supports to support um, those centurions while deep striking them or uh, potentially scouting one of the two. The best unit was probably my chaplain with a jump pack. So for just 90 points, you have a unit which takes. Uh, units that drop from deep strike from needing a nine in the charge to just needing a seven, um, which is a, a massive change, particularly when you have Raven Guard and you have two different ways to give your units rerolls. Um, now, having your Centurions nail their charge turn one is actually doubly important. Not only do they get to sort of paste an extra unit, um, but actually helps them with their overall problem, which is movement. So when they're only moving four, making a nine inch charge. Um, and then piling in and consolidating really helps them rocket up the board and uh, stop opponents from really zoning them out. So my most interesting part of the tournament is actually something where things didn't work out so hot for me. Um, I had lined up a series of charges against uh, the new Mechanicus transports uh, with all of my scouts. So I was going incredibly aggressive, saying I'm going to sort of tie up as much as I can because I knew my uh, Assault Centurions were going to nail their charge. Uh, and I then proceeded to roll nine ones in a row where uh, on the charge roll. So I rolled a snake eyes in the first charge roll, snake eyes in the second charge roll, tried to CP re-roll the snake eyes into uh, still a snake eyes, uh, failed two saves in the overwatch with ones, and then failed a third charge with snake eyes. It was uh, absolutely crazy. <laughs> Next came Deceitful Enemies, a 36-player ITC event in Stockport, UK, where Marcus the Marquise of Henson would eventually have his zombie knights shamble all over the opposition. What do you say, Marcus? So a couple of highlights from the weekend. Biggest one would be uh, playing probably Vic, uh, recently won obviously the Glasshammer um, GT, uh, and a couple of weeks ago an RTT managed to fill me in 15-5. Uh, um, when he got to show me what his uh, success, Raven Guard and, Bla and Iron Hand successor chapter does when it's all combined. This time I got to set up first. I understood how his list worked, so I managed to block off a lot of his deep strike, but didn't wasn't able to manage to uh, stop his Vic from seizing me. And uh, there's nothing like, uh, in some respects, getting the final, uh, what should be the final of the, uh, the tournament, uh, out of your way round two. Uh, where I managed to uh, just about survive his uh, deep strike to uh, his, deep, or his forward charge uh, and uh, with my defensive deployment to allow me to sort of get past him. Although a couple of big highlights and shout outs um, for the weekend would go to uh, Vic who recently won obviously the Glass Hammer Open and a couple of weeks ago filled me in at an RTT. Um, by showing me exactly what his uh, successor chapters all do as far as uh, hits and damage. 
field of damnation was a 36 player six rounder that took place in the place renowned for the sourest of berries saskatoon saskatchewan oslin headlock meloche would be the only undefeated player to walk out of the event with sisters of battle imperial fists and a sealed team six of salamanders our first real glimpse at this silly self-sacrifice salamander stratagem solves the simple question of how to serve siege breaker siege cannons my list at uh, Field of Damnation was based around board control, uh, creating pockets of zones that my opponent couldn't afford to enter, uh, and then lever leveraging that to uh, score Recon and uh, King of the Hill. Um, the Bloody Rose Sisters were phenomenal at that, uh, just being an excellent counterattack source. Uh, plus one strength, plus one attack from Bloody Rose, plus a Preacher, plus one attack, and then Rapid Fire with a ton of Storm Bolters just gave me a ton of strength four shots uh, and attacks to to uh, deal with anyone who comes too close. While the Centurions were the build around primary damage, uh, I would have to say the Seraphim were MVP. Um, the durability gained from combining like their Angelic Visage ability, Celestine, and Indomitable Belief, uh, as well as Fly, uh, make them very powerful uh, screen units when I'm the defender. Um, and then their, their jump packs plus the ability to deep strike allowed me to both um, win a bunch of early secondary points with King of the Hill and Recon, and then also attack my opponent's secondary points um, by, you know, dealing with uh, my opponents trying to score Recon, as well as killing Engineers by double shooting them with Burning Descent. Uh, as well as the fact that, you know, they are just giving me CP by being the uh, fast attack slot in the Brigade. The highlights of the tournament, I would have to say, uh, would be having multiple knights explode onto me um, in different games, as well as orbital bombardments, just kind of blowing up a lot of my MSU uh, units, dealing 20 plus mortal wounds. It's always fun to, to see just such a massive explosion, pick up so many models, and do so much damage to both players. Amiable, bright, penitent rising was the darling of the real estate Warhammer crossover world this weekend. 29 players bask in the sunshine of Kamloops, BC, which is, yes, a real place, as Alex the Frugal McDougal would take down all who would oppose him. Last weekend, I won the Amiable Bright GT with my Eternid GSC combo. It's actually the exact same list that I ran at Attack X, which I also won. Uh, the only thing that's changed is I swapped out a Sanctus for a Keller Morph. And that is in direct response to the fact that Marines are a thing, and Jim was not at this event, so I didn't have to worry about his chaos. Third Lord, uh, 36 Gene Stealers and Ripper Swarms in one battalion. A second battalion that is a Primus Abominant, 19 Hand Flamers, 20 Brood Brothers, the Aberrants, the Biophagus with a Familiar, and a Nexos, and that is Twisted Helix, and then the third battalion because I want as many CP as I can get, is the Primus uh, Patriarch, or sorry, Magus Patriarch, 30 Brood Brothers, and the Keller Morph. And that's a mixed attachment of Twisted Helix and Formed Emperor, so I have access to Vact. So having used these at back-to-back uh, -back major GTs, I'm super familiar with the list, and I hadn't really been able to play against Marines proper. And I finally got that chance against an Ultramarines list and a White Scars list. And pretty similar to what I thought, the Ultramarine list, the shootier of the two lists, uh, is definitely a huge problem for the list, or my, my army. 
uh, and the White Scars plays fairly similar to Tyranids and definitely gave me an easier game. That one, I was able to trade blows a little better. Whereas the Ultramarine list, I just kind of had to crack this horrible shell of three things overwatching at once and having aspects and everything else. Keller Morph was definitely the right change from the Sanctus. In multiple games, he got all sorts of work done against different characters, or also just the fact that he can pick up four to five Intercessor Marines, or Primaris Marines in general, pretty quickly. He was also able to hunt down a Thunderfire Cannon that I would never have been able to get to uh, until very, very late in the game. And he was still fine against a Chaos list that I played, picking up a Demon Prince in one turn. So overall, the list is still going strong, and I'll see where it goes from here. And finally, Red Rock Exterminatus would just eke into the GT range as 28 souls would brave the consummate fear that comes from visiting Utah for more than a few minutes. In the end, Evan the Tramp Stamp Stump would claim victory for the Tau Empire. Tournament News. Hi, I'm Stephen Box from Vanguard Tactics, and you're listening to the one and only 40k Stat Center. Well, dear Falcon, it looks like that brings us to a conclusion. We're clocking in at over an hour and 40 minutes, and we got to look ourselves in the mirror and figure out how to, make, how to not make such a long podcast. But that, I digress. Yeah, you know what? I like it. I love hearing my own voice. So You don't even suck. listen to the show. Oh, you're right. But I still like it when I swear. That's true. I got nothing more to say, but but this was a great episode. I babbled a lot about stats, so I'm always happy. Um, love listening to all the players. And hey, folks, once again, do that subscribe business, the likey business. I did just start a Patreon for 40kstats.com, almost completely unrelated to this podcast. If you want to take a look, all those stats that I was bringing up, I do put a lot of effort into them. Wouldn't mind some help trying to keep the website up and running. If you like it, do a thing. If you don't like it, eh. And if you just don't have money, stop being poor. Yeah, well, that's sage advice. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.